The biggest approach to self-care that I've taken is reconciling my self-judgment. It's like, how do we feel about ourselves? And really sitting down and doing inventory on that. Because once you deal with your self-judgment, anybody else's judgment has absolutely no power. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hey everyone, it's Alex Carr, senior producer and host here at The Skim. Carly and Danielle are out this week, so I'll be hosting today's conversation. And today we have an amazing guest for you. We have the one and only Jada Pinkett Smith joining us. You know her as the star from your favorite movies and shows, including A Different World, The Nutty Professor, Magic Mike XXL, and my favorite, Girls Trip. And you also know her as the host of The Red Table Talk, the talk show that's won a daytime Emmy and has sparked some of the most thoughtful and sometimes provocative conversations in pop culture. She's been named one of Time Magazine's most influential people and has received the NAACP Image Award. And as if she didn't have enough on her resume, Jada is also now a memoirist. Her book, Worthy, is available this October. And we're going to get into all of it. Jada, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Hey, thank you for having me. So happy to have you here. I feel very intimidated doing this interview because I've watched so many of your interviews and I don't know if it's fun for you to have the table turned or not, but we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Okay, Jada, to start, we're going to do a lightning round to get to know you better. So quick questions, Uh, quick answers. I'm so bad at this. We will, we'll work through it together. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. First job you got paid for? Working uh, at a record store when I was 12 years old. Last time you negotiated for yourself? Last week? Yeah. (laughs) How'd it go? (laughs) It went good. Okay, good. It went good. Yeah. I know Red Table Talk, uh, it's TBD, the future of the show. But if you had a dream interview guest for Red Table Talk, who would it be? Tiger Woods. Mm, What would you ask him? You know, Tiger has had such an incredible journey. You know, he's come through so much. And I want to know how he did it. You know, how did he rehabilitate his body, his life all at once? You know, sometimes it's one or the other and his career all at once and came back on top. Like, I want to know how he did it. Best piece of advice either your mom, Adrian, or your daughter, Willow, has given you? Oh, man, they both have given me such great advice. I guess my mother would be go to therapy. You're codependent. (laughs) Moms know. Moms always know. Yeah, they know, you know. Craziest headline you ever read about yourself? Craziest headline has been so many. I don't even know. I stopped reading them so long ago, but there's been some really crazy ones out there. Big time. Yeah. What's something we can't Google about you? Oh, so much. I love playing golf. That is surprising. (laughs) That explains Tiger Woods. Yeah, I love golf. I love golf. Yeah, I love playing golf. 
Okay. I, lo- I love that. I did not know that. I'm shocked. <laughs> One word a family member would use to describe you. Willow sometimes calls me, what, what, she says, I am fascinating. What is the last TV show you binge watched? Oh, I'm really into K-dramas. Okay. And it was a K-drama called The Alchemy of Souls. Final question of the lightning round. What is, or how do you relax? I like that question. How do you relax? I spend a great deal of time alone. And usually the most relaxed I'm in when I'm in my meditation, which I, I do often. Yeah. I want to talk about the book. You called it your reclamation journey. I'm curious, like, what you thought you needed to reclaim or what you thought was misunderstood about you and your journey that you wanted this book to explain. You know, it wasn't it wasn't about an explanation. Right. It was really about reclaiming my power, taking my power back and writing the book really was about honoring my voice, honoring my experiences. And so I didn't. I didn't write the book in order to like set the record straight. It just so happens that I feel as though it will set a lot of records straight along the way. (laughs) And me taking responsible for how I have abandoned myself in regards to my narrative, you know? And so, you know, just in regards to one of the most controversial red tables that we had um, was with Will and I the entanglement table where I completely abandoned myself and I allowed a false narrative. And that was about me, you know, and that was me trying to take care of someone else in a way that at that particular time, not knowing how to take care of myself and take care of Will at the same time. And I think that part of the journey is learning how to do that. Like while we're learning how to love, it's how do we love ourselves and not leave the people we love on the side of the road? And how do we love the people that we love without leaving ourselves at the side of the road, right? And I think for a lot of people, I'll talk about women because the male experience is still very, very uh, foreign to me, even though that I know men do me too. this in their own way, right? <laughs> yeah. So I only have the right to talk about kind of the universal theme in regards to women, right? We're often told that we should be selfless. We should sacrifice ourselves by all means necessary for everyone else, you know, and that we're the last ones we should be taken care of. And if we do, we are selfish women, right? And I think we all have suffered that. And so that journey to self-worth is really breaking those ideas within ourselves, that we've adopted. I have so many questions about everything you just said and how you take care of yourself. But I want to start with how you actually started your memoir, which is your childhood, your upbringing in Baltimore. For someone listening who might not be that familiar with your story or how you grew up, what did you take with you from that time in Baltimore and how did that shape your view of self-worth? What I learned about me was my level of resilience, right? And just my ability to like withstand a lot of tough things and get through on top, really. Do you think you were born with that quality or was that a learned quality? 
Was it nature or nurture? <laughs> the existential question. We're getting existential on this podcast, Jada. The existential question. I think it was a bit of both. You know, it's like you have to be given the circumstances in order to cultivate what you've been given. All right. So I would say I would say it, it was both. I was born with a certain girth and then I was given experiences that really helped me recognize it and cultivate it. And when you arrived in Hollywood, something that I was so struck by is like you have this experience that I think a lot of women relate to. You are a free spirit and you don't want to be told how to define yourself. But we have a culture and we certainly had a culture in the 80s and 90s of wanting to define women and yes. especially letting men define women. I'm curious, as you reflect on that experience, what advice you'd give to someone listening who might find themselves in a similar situation, how to find or reclaim their identity when someone is clearly trying to force them into a different mold? I'm going to be honest with you. I, I feel like young women today, I feel like the standards are even more like you can't escape it. Right. And I mean, let's just talk about Instagram culture. I, we won't even just say Instagram. We'll just say culture online in regards to women and what's expected. And I would say that choose which difficulty you want, meaning choose the pain that you feel as though is going to get you closer to where you want to be. Do you want to be a free woman who is empowered by her independence? Right. Or do you want to be a woman that plays the game. Either one is perfectly okay, right? Just choose one. And you could choose, like, I play the game on the weekend and during the week I don't. However, right? But just as a woman, define your own rules, your own code, and just know that it won't be easy, but you will have the dignity of your code. And that is, and when you could be 10 toes down on your code, you're not going to be swayed this way and that way. You know, you're going to really nurture your spirit and your mind to operate in a way that works for you instead of trying to operate based on what other people want you to be. And that goes for men and women alike. You know, something else that we've we've spoken to women before about on the show is, especially if they have a famous spouse or a successful spouse, they often get defined in relation to that spouse. You know, their identity is often so-and-so, comma, so-and-so spouse. And I don't know what that experience is like. I'm not famous. My husband's not famous. Um, but I do know what it's like to kind of feel like you do need to nurture a different part of yourself yeah. or like you're being overlooked or someone's career, you know, whether or not it's true, feels like it's being prioritized. And I'm curious, like, what your experience was with having a very famous husband and also defining your own career and your own identity in the same industry. It was and is sometimes very difficult. It's less difficult now, right? But definitely, you know, in the earlier years, it was very hard. And I talk about it in the book, you know, that I had established myself, my own career, and then I got married to Will, and now I'm an appendage of him all of a sudden, you know, and I had never experienced anything like that, you know, so it was definitely something that I had to reconcile with. And it had nothing to do with Will. It wasn't his fault, you know, so I had to really learn how to navigate that. Yeah. And like what worked for you? How did you navigate that? 
I just had to really put my foot down. It's like, and I talk about this in a book, you know, I talk about an experience that I had where I had this project and I was told that unless Will was part of it, I couldn't do the project. So I was like, all right, not doing the project. You know, I had to set a standard for myself. So this is what I'm talking about, that code, right? And so that hurt because the project was almost ready to go. We're going to do this movie. A lot of people were involved, but I had to stick to my code, you know? And so I chose the pain that brought me closer to the identity that that was me versus just like, oh, well, let me just do it. And, you know, next time. And it's like, no, no, no. Next time somebody's going to try to do the same thing. Establish the code right now. Establish your boundary. Yeah. Right. And it's painful to do that sometimes. But to this day, I'm glad that uh, I made that choice. I love that advice. My next question for you is really a, around your version of self-care. I think you have this reputation and you've developed this persona of being like a healer, being a caretaker. And I always want to know from people who have that responsibility is like, how do they take care of themselves? And a lot of celebrities are often asked about the commercialized side of wellness. Like, you know, do they like their athletic greens in the morning or do they like their sauna? And I, I love a sauna. I, you know, no shade to saunas. Love a sauna. <laughs> but what is self-care to Jada? You know, what is the hierarchy of needs? Is it like self-compassion? Is it setting boundaries? What is self-care to you? Okay, so the biggest self-care to Jada, and this was something that, because this is, this is a big question, right? This is, it's, it's, it's so many components to it, right? But I'm going to tell you, the biggest approach to self-care that I've taken is reconciling my self-judgment, you know? It's like, how do we feel about ourselves? And really sitting down and doing inventory on that. And so that's what I call going into the exiled lands. It's like doing that shadow work, like real deal, like going into those areas that we have to look at pieces of ourselves that we're not necessarily proud of, that we didn't really show up as our best and we know it. Going in there, really examining it and making peace, you know, and really reconciling self-judgment. And to me, that's how you get to self-love. And to me, that's how you get the strength to live an independent life and be free. Because once you deal with your self-judgment, anybody else's judgment has absolutely no power. You are free. You know, so I spend a lot of time doing a lot of self-reflection. So whether it's in the sauna, <laughs> in the tub, <laughs> in meditation, mm -hmm. after I watch, after I binge watch Alchemy of Souls, whatever, mm -hmm. right? You know, yeah. it's really sitting with myself and finding those areas within that I may have to ask those hard questions and answer those hard questions. You really created a space for that with Red Table Talk. I think the show to me was like the ultimate space for people to be vulnerable. I loved that you did it with your mom and your daughter. I think something a lot of people, in particular women, everyone thinks about it, but no one talks about it, is the idea of generational cycles and confronting generational trauma. Yeah. For you, what was the most eye-opening part about doing Red Table Talk? And what would you say to someone listening who, like, wants to have their own red table talk, whether it's with their family or their friends, but they might not feel like they have the courage or the self-reflection that you just talked about to kind of start that journey, start that conversation? Ask questions. Like, 
Red Table Talk was birthed from curiosity, from Willow's curiosity, actually. Willow saying, Mom, I want to know who you are, not as my mother, but as a woman. That's deep. Yeah. For a 12-year-old daughter, you know, and I was like, oh, snap. (laughs) Well, to know me, you got to know your grandmother, right? You got to know that history, right? And so it's having the curiosity of how your loved ones came to be, who they are, right? And so I would write a list of questions. I'll get a red tablecloth. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Put it over a round table, you know, and gather your whoever it is you want to have that red table with and have your list of questions. Be curious about how that person came to be, you know, and, and even with the writing of the book, my mother and I had so many aha moments in reflecting on the generational trauma. Because that's why I had to take my book all the way back to my grandmother and then to my great-grandmother and then saw this line throughout all of our lives, right? And I was like, oh, this is going to stop here with me. I don't want Willow to have to do this. But me and my mom had quite a few aha moments just around like, oh, snap, grandmother gave you that and then you passed it down to me. And that's why you have this lack of self-knowledge or self-esteem, you know, Mm -hmm. because my mother was like, why do I have such a lack of self-esteem? And so when we went really through the history, we got to see it. And she was like, I never thought of that. You know, I never thought of it that way. So interesting. I think something that we hear from people like listeners to this show who are really interested in their own career development is I don't understand this person in my office from this different generation. Like, I don't get this Gen Z kid. I don't get this woman who's older than me, who's my boss. Like, I don't connect with them. I'm just so struck by the rapport that the three of you have, you know, aside from being family, being like patient with everyone's experiences and what they're coming to the table with. How would you advise someone to approach a relationship with someone at work, like a professional relationship who is like of a different generation and you're just not seeing eye to eye and you're like, I don't understand what you mean or I don't understand why you're making this judgment about my work ethic. Well, there it is, the judgment. It's like put the judgment aside, right? And ask questions. You can never go wrong with asking questions, right? Because once somebody feels seen, it's like if you don't understand, it's like just really being honest about that. That was one of the reasons why we had the red table was to be able to find those gateways that help us see one another, even though we're from different generations. You know what I mean? And it was through questions, but it's with curiosity without judgment. It's like, hey, let me just ask you something. Why is it that you feel that way about how I do that? You know, and so it's like, not being judgmental and then not taking people's judgment personally. And that's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a hard so one. Yeah, but that's that's where it's at. You know, it's like, don't take the judgment personally and ask questions and just find a way through questions to try to see, try to see that person. Once somebody feels seen, you feel this softening that comes over. Yeah. On that note around, you know, not taking judgment personally, You've made yourself the subject of the Red Table Talk in certain episodes. There was kind of this infamous episode, affectionately known as the Entanglement episode, where there was a a spotlight on you and your marriage. This is a very personal journey that became very public. Yes, absolutely. 
for whatever reason. So what happened, Jada? From there, you know, as time went on, I got into a different kind of entanglement. And I wonder how many hits Merriam-Webster got after that conversation (laughs) of people searching the word entanglement. But I want you to take me back to that time where people are making all sorts of assumptions or judgments about your relationship with your husband, your family. Were you scared to put out that conversation? What was going through your head? Yeah, I wasn't really. My only concern was what was in front of me and what I saw that Will wasn't ready, all right? Because he wasn't supposed to be at the table in the first place. He asked to come to the table, you know, and I felt like he was like, I don't want you to be at the table alone. And I was like, wow, you know, just considering where we were at that particular point of time, I was really like touched by that. And then once I saw that he wasn't ready, I kind of, that's, that's what I do. I just go, don't worry, I got this. I'll take it all. And I wasn't concerned about what people were going to think about me. All I was worried about was taking care of my immediate circumstance, which was making sure Will was good and shutting it all down so that it could just be put aside and forgotten about. And if that means that I was going to take on that narrative of being the adulterous wife, then so be it. But my first concern was what was happening in my immediate environment because I have a different relationship with public judgment and that started with my metal music journey. Once you have people who are giving you death threats on a constant basis and really violent ones and you're going out every night and playing music anyway, you kind of the power of like public judgment starts to be, you start to see the illusion of it, like the non-existence of it. Like some of it is really real. I had some real threats out there while I was doing metal music, but most of it wasn't. Most of it was just noise, right? And so I don't get as affected as you would think, as most people probably do. And I have to thank those years of being out on doing metal music. I'm so glad you brought that up because I loved that part of your memoir. And for people who haven't read it, Jada was in a metal music band for many years. And the group actually faced threats all the time from people who thought they shouldn't be playing metal music, that a black woman couldn't be playing metal music. That really, like, helped me see the the illusion in in people's chatter and judgment because it was on such an extreme scale. And I would go out every night and be fine. One of the things that I wrote down when I was reading the book was just like, I'm so impressed by your capacity to, for lack of like a better phrase, like have personal growth while everyone else feels empowered to weigh in also, like people you've never met. What is that like to basically commit to a personal growth journey and be able to block out all that noise? And like what happens if the noise does get in? You know, I think we all have to deal with that on some level. So whether you're a person that has, you know, 50 followers on Instagram and three of them are talking smack about you, we're all affected in that way at some capacity. There's nobody who is exempt from public judgment anymore, right? 
Mine just happens to be, you know, on a, maybe on a more extreme scale. But I think it's the work that we all have to do to a certain extent, right? Really understanding who we are and having a belief in that so that we're not affected by other people's judgment. And when it does seep in, then I have to look at, well, what is this touching? Like, why is this hurting me? How am I feeling about myself in this moment? And then that's the thing that I look at. Because you're right, the person doesn't know me. I know me though, right? And so if it seeps in, I have to look at, well, how do you feel about yourself around this subject? And that's the thing that I have to give attention to, not the person or the people who are saying the thing. They're not the ones with the power. The power sits in me because it's about how I feel about myself. So that's the place I have to go into, look at, reconcile with, and make peace with. So it's actually really helpful to a certain extent. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, I mean, I'm yeah. like, I'm so inspired to kind of try this, try this exercise. I think there's so much value, no matter who you are. Yeah. Being introspective is an overlooked skill. You know, you called your diagnosis with alopecia your greatest teacher at one point in your memoir. Why has this been your greatest teacher? And like, what would you say to someone listening who's maybe struggling to like find a lesson in something that they're experiencing? I think that it really gave me permission in a certain manner to be with my vulnerability in a way that I had never been before and find my strength in that. The first day, and I can feel it right now, that I was in that shower and my hair was sloughing off of my head. And I thought that I had some terminal illness. Like I didn't know what was going on and I was terrified. I don't think I've ever been that scared in my life. Not even when I had two guns to my head, believe it or not. I thought I was dying. I didn't know what was going on. And for the first time, I had to be with myself in that really vulnerable state. And it was in that vulnerable state that I had to learn to surrender in ways that I had never before because it was one thing I had no control over, right? I was so used to being able to fix things right away. I've got the answer. I'll do this. I'll do this. There was no answer for alopecia. My hair was coming out and there was nothing I could do about it. And it forced me to make peace with it in the softness of my surrender instead of going into my fight. I'm so used to, fuck it, let's go. You know what I mean? And getting my shield and my spear. <laughs> and, you know, with this, I had to just completely surrender. And so I was able to find that soft space within myself that showed me a new strength that the shield and the spear had no place in that room within myself. You know what I mean? So it really brought me into a softer place that was just as strong as, and if not stronger than the steely place that I can go to. Thank you for sharing that. There are so many takeaways, lessons in your book. I, as anyone who reads it, will, will find themselves annotating. But if you had to find one takeaway or like one lesson that you think is the most important one, is there one that stands out to you? I would say just the lesson that learning to love is a process. I think that we, in our relationships, in our relationships to ourselves, we think that we're all so 
educated on how to love and we're ready-made. And yeah, you know what I mean? It's a process. I mean, you're, you're married, right? And so it's like, how long have you been married for? I got married in June. Oh, see? So you guys are like venturing on this journey. But it is a process. It's a process. You're venturing on the journey. I know. We got a joint bank account. I was like, this is so hard. <laughs> exactly. Was, like, what? And so there's all these different phases that you guys will go through. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing with every phase, of, you know, every relationship, whether it's friendships, our relationship with ourselves, you know, our relationship with the great supreme. It's like source, earth, whatever you want to call it. It's like, it's a process. And if we understand that, we can relax a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like, your dude's going to make mistakes. He's not always going to know how to do things right. He's not always going to say the right things. Same with you. You know what I mean? It's so funny. I've been saying this. It's like, we're human beings who have such disdain for humanness, you know? And it's like, we if we really can just, do. we really do. It's like, if we can just learn to accept that idea that we're human and have patience and know that we're all in this game. This place that we're in right now is a university. This is a university, this thing called life, and we all have a curriculum. And we're all here together to, to figure out how to get through this curriculum. We're all here to learn. And it's okay when we don't have the answers and it's okay when things go wrong. It's all okay. It's all part of it. And that through the mistakes and that through the mud and when shit goes awry, is the perfect place to really learn how to love. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. I love that so much. Um, Jada, one last question. Who is someone else we should have on this show? Man, there's so many. I think there's one woman you guys maybe. I have a really good friend. Her name is Lauren London. And she was the partner of Nipsey Hustle. Lauren would be one. And um I shoot. Have y'all had Michelle Obama on here yet? <laughs> no, but if you could call her for us, that would be amazing. <laughs> That's the ultimate right there. Our forever first lady, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I am excited for the intro one day. Michelle, yes. Michelle, if you're listening, call us, please. There you go. Jada, thank you so much. You've given our audience so much to think about. Um, I can't wait for them to hear this interview. Thank you. Thank you for today. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account. I promise. 